0: from my um, words when we were sitting before, a a title for this uh, talk could be Aloneness and Togetherness. Um, This afternoon I was rereading a rather more scholarly article about Zen rather than practice-orientated. It was about um, uh, Dogen and Dogen's teachings which were back in um, 12th, 13th century Japan. And how we're applying, trying to apply those teachings in a very, very different culture. Because back then, in Japan, as is the case in Japan still today, um, it's a it's a society or a culture where the the individual and the sense of being an individual is very different to our experience in the West, where very Confucian values. Um, importance of respecting elders, institutions, um, and uh, less of a sense of your individual rights, more about your obligations to others than your individual rights. So that was the context in which Zen developed in Japan and in many ways Zen was a kind of uh, uh, liberation from uh, the the tightness and the oppressiveness of all that that social structure and expectation and obligation that was in you, so that through sitting practice and the insight that came with it, you could people could develop a sense of of being being alone and being alone with the universe at the same time. So it's all like becoming a nobody in a sense, but becoming free from All of the expectations, society, so your your own uniqueness, in a sense, could come through. Now, when you apply that to um, to our culture and Western culture, American culture, this culture, where um, the the idea of the individual is very, very well developed, to the point that a lot of commentators these days see it as being um, moving very much in the direction of narcissism. You know, that it's all about me and it really doesn't matter about anyone else so much. So that that sense of um, so, social obligation or social contract, you know, it's, it's a very different context we're working in today than Dogen is in, in in the 12th century. And the other thing that's very different is that um, back then, social institutions... Um, were very strong, there was, just, there was sort of just a universal culture. You didn't get to choose between different values and different ideas and so on. It was all homogenous. And people had far greater um, trust in their institutions. Then. And what we're seeing in the West now is that, that trust in institutions, whether it's politics or the church or whatever, it's all breaking down. And there's a sense of meaninglessness coming in. There's so many choices that we have. Um, that there's a kind of atmosphere of, of of meaninglessness which is there. So how do we how do we practice Zen in this context? Is the question. I don't have all the answers to it, but um, I certainly want to ask the question. One thing we do need to be careful of, and there's some books coming out on this now, not so much about Zen but about mindfulness, uh, that. Um, it's important that we don't fashion Zen or Buddhism just to reinforce our narcissism, you know, and be caught in that that over that extreme, you know, of um, of just taking care of number one. Mm-hmm. And uh, there is a, a book which I've mentioned last year or this year, um, uh, "Mindlessness." Now, what's the title? "Mindlessness." The the misuse of, or something like the misuse of, of mindfulness in a narcissistic culture, which is an interesting book to read. But um, the other thing which is fresh on my mind is that um, last weekend, um, I gave a, a seminar all weekend to our Buddhism and psychotherapy training group, There's a group of psychotherapists and social workers and so on, um, who are doing extra training. And the module I give each year is on relationships. And the theme that went through a lot of my presentations is how um, narcissism, you know, just being preoccupied with oneself and one's rights, etc., um, impacts on relationships because relationships are a two-way process. They're a, a social contract. And it's my theory. It's only a theory. I can't, can't prove it. But my theory is, is that narcissism, narcissism in Western culture is a large cause of the breakdown of marriages and divorce and so on because people are um, uh, focusing on their own self and their own need without this sense of social contract or how to be able to negotiate it. Um, and the divorce rate is, is far, far higher in Western developed countries than they are in developing countries probably not the only reason why it is, but in our, our cultures it's 50, somewhere between 40 and 60% of marriages end in divorce. In developing countries it's somewhere between 10 and 20, and where there's more sense of community and so on. I'm sure there's other factors involved. But it leads me to bring it into the issue of practice, which I always want to come back to, is that how can we, how can we practice in this western context so that we don't get caught into just feeding self-centered views or self-centered ways of being in the world and two things come to mind um, in terms of practice which um, which make us aware of togetherness as well as aloneness and one is um, the um, the practice of the precepts which is really in all of its different variations is a practice of non-harming so you practice the precepts and you develop a mindfulness about how your actions may affect others you know in a in a harmful way or a non-harmful way through through speech through action various ways in which it may occur so any true dharma practice does include the practice and the commitment at a very very deep level of as much as possible not harming, mm-hmm. as well as practi- practicing mindfulness. And if those two go hand in hand, like there's a strong commitment to both of those practices, um, then you, you're creating the most favourable conditions in which insight can occur. You know, and, and insight, to use our terminology, is waking up from the self-centred dream. You do those two things, and then gradually or suddenly, we start to see through that that delusionary way of being in the world, and we and we then we we fall into um, being comfortable in our own aloneness and enjoying our own aloneness, and falling into and enjoying the the togetherness of everything, the interbeing of everything. Um, so. And the, and the other aspect of practice, um, apart from practicing the precepts, is also um, cultivating a view of gratitude towards others, towards life and towards others. And that's, often that's missing from the repertoire of people who are so individually focused. Um, and just have a sense of entitlement that things come to us, which is the, the opposite of gratitude. And to just finish up, um, there I made reference to a book which I've made reference to here, which is a, a, a type of um, therapy um, which um, is based on um, Pure Land Buddhism in Japan, which is called Naikana Therapy. And it's about the practice of developing gratitude. And so to give you a contrast in these, these different perspectives, the summary of it is compared to, to Nikon therapy um, compared to um, or contrasted with traditional western therapy um, is that Nikon therapy is different to, tra- to traditional western therapy in the following ways traditional western therapy focuses on feelings Nikon focuses on facts traditional Revisit how you've been hurt and mistreated in the past. In NICAN, you revisit how you've been cared for and supported in the past. Traditional, the therapist validates the client's experience. NICAN, the therapist helps the client understand the experience of others. Traditional, I'll use his words, but I'll change them. Traditional, blame others for your problems. I don't think it's necessarily blaming others for your problems. But certainly what, and there's many books written about this, a lot of therapy looks for the causes of our suffering outside of ourselves. It's what my parents did to me, or how I was bullied as a child, or it's in my genetic makeup or something. Um, so it's not necessarily blame, um, but it's outsourcing the cause of the suffering. Nikan. Oh, sorry, uh, so um, traditional, blame others or look for the causes outside. I can. Take responsibility for your own conduct and the problems you cause others. Traditional, the therapist provides analysis and interpretation of the client's experience. Nikon, the therapist provides a structured framework for the client's self-reflection. And finally, traditional um, therapy helps the client increase self-esteem, and Nikon helps the client Increase appreciation for life. So it gives you a, a, a contrast of the flavour there, and in many ways, I, d- I don't necessarily take the view that there's one's better than the other, but but psychotherapy helps heal the self and has a, a self focus. I, I find all, most people who who come in to see for, see me for psychotherapy feel. Hurt and wounded by experience, like interpersonal experiences of some kind, and they need to heal from the inside. the The Japanese Naikan approach and, and Zen is influenced by that as well. is is looking at the um, the framework of togetherness, not just the individual, and how we're we're knitted into a fabric, you know. And so the way that we relate to others and and may cause harm or whether there's a lack of gratitude is something that we also need to look at so I don't see it as either or but but both are important in some kind of way but if our focus in a therapeutic sense or our our focus in a Zen sense Mm -hmm. is just on our own self-compassion or how I'm going to heal myself well that's fine but it's not the end of the practice it goes beyond that far beyond that into cultivating non-harming, and into cultivating gratitude as well. That's what's happening right here and now. We're all alone. We'll all go to bed alone, and we're we'll all here together.